Hey guys, I don't know if you're like me, but I love Count the Dings and everything it has to offer. I just can't find everything I need. You know, I know about Cinephobe and I know about the mailbag and I know about Bomb, but that's all we do, right, I mean? No, we do so much more. What? Yeah, absolutely. If you sign up, patreon.com slash count the dings, you'll find a plethora of other content, fresh content, extended content, the OG pod overflow, the Cinephobe cold opens that we've taken and made their own thing to live only there. The Rewatchingtons, bomb in its full Ooh. and unadulterated cut, early drops of Cinephobe episodes, and so much more. You said the OG pod. Now, is it new or is it old? Mace, I'm glad you asked that. It is a new incarnation mm-hmm. of the old OG pod. Oh. So it's me, Zach, Trey, Waz, Tom. I love those guys. Just like we always were. Going back to the True Hoop days, mm-hmm. we're recreating that magic, recapturing it, and putting it back out. We're talking hoops. We're talking pop culture. And most importantly, we're talking for 40 minutes for free. Mm-hmm. But then another specific Patreon exclusive segment for every one of those episodes. Funny enough about that OG pod, you're getting Tom and Trey on Mondays. You're getting me and Waz, aka Zosny, on Wednesdays. Amin's floating in between. I'm a floater. You never know when you're going to get Amin in those, so you got to listen to them all. And what if I'm not sure what Maze looks like? Because I've always thought he's a fat man with a fedora. He's got a weird voice. How can I see for myself what this Maze character actually looks like? It's crazy you don't know the answer to this. Hmm. because it's the Cinephobe Pod YouTube page. What? The CT5s on the Cinephobe Pod YouTube page. You can look at all of us. You can get all the OG pods on YouTube too at CountTheDings1 on YouTube, at Cinephobe Pod on YouTube, patreon.com slash CountTheDings gets you everything all in one feed. You can link it to your Spotify. And now enjoy the show. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's Pack Your Knives. I'm Kevin Arnovitz. And I'm Tom Haberstroh. Tom, Craft Cocktails, Canapes, who knew? Uh, big week on Top Chef. 
season 16, Brother Luck back in the competition, all kinds of shenanigans happen in that last chance kitchen. You got to keep an eye on that last chance kitchen, man. Are you going to miss everything? Tom, impressions. Um, I didn't know what a canapé was uh, until I watched this this episode. So when she's like, all right, we're going to be doing a canapé uh, for for guests in the basement of the Seelbach Hotel, which, by the way, has one of the best bourbon uh, selections in the world. Uh, go check out the Seelbach Bar, Seelbach Bar there in downtown Louisville. Um, I was I guess it's is it, what's the difference between a canapé and a and a, a mousse bouche? I mean, mousse bouche would be part of kind of like a seated dinner. A canapé is 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 a specific little morsel. Um, I mean, it's an hors d'oeuvre. Uh, I I don't think it. I mean, I I, I knew what the I'd, I'd heard the term before. I didn't know. I don't think it specifically goes with a cocktail, but it is something. It, it is more of an hors d'oeuvre. It is more of a whereas the amuse is sort of usually part of a more structured meal, but. Um, they, uh, th- that was the assignment, right? You got it. They, they threw out five great craft cocktails, mm-hmm. uh, and the contestants each had to choose a cocktail with which they would pair or be inspired by to do as Tom Colicchio called it kind of the, the one true bite, like the, just, just a bite, a very similar to the amuse. You're absolutely right. But, uh, and, and then that was the assignment and then hijinks ensues as it always does. Yeah, there was there was a similar episode last season where uh, they had to make a Rattler, like a Rattler inspired dish. Would, oh yeah, is that yeah, what yeah, it was? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so yeah, it was like yeah, yeah. it was really good. Except Chris Scott, who's a who's a, no longer drinks alcohol, he's like, uh, I guess I just kind of wing it here. We didn't have that twist in this episode. Uh, everyone brought their best, um, and so many dishes. And we'll get into it. That I just wanted to. I don't even know. Chew, drink, uh, lather it down, and it was. It looked great. Um, so as someone who likes to pair a cocktail with dinner, a, a nice glass of wine, this was a, a very inspired episode for me uh, with with these cocktails. And I learned. Uh, I didn't know what these like 12-mile-high uh, cocktails were. Just The 12-mile-high one looked kind of like a Long Island iced tea. It just looked like a bunch of liquors. Yeah, it's just in- a pour all the shit in the well <laughs> in one glass, right? Yeah. Like that's kind of um, – so there was also another – twist to this episode which was brother luck came out of the loser's bracket he is he is last chance kitchen extraordinaire competitor uh uh beat out nini to be the contestant let back in the competition uh and there was a little bit of gotta say like not a huge fan of the kelsey sarah we don't want your kind here the very tribal thinking of sort of that that uh, you know, there there was there was they took great umbrage at, at Brother Luck coming back in the competition, uh, and actually half of the existing contestants had to be uh, his sous chef in the head to head against Nini to see who would come back in. It was essentially Last Chance Kitchen was exported out of the digital ether and into your living rooms as part of the main uh, as part of the main episode this week. So so that was kind of funky, kind of cool, but uh, there was definitely sort of a, a bias against Brother Luck for being um, a, a member of season 15 rather than a season 16 purist. Uh, Kelsey and Sarah, uh, sort of, again, expressing the we don't want your kind here, but, uh, but Brother Luck uh, prevailed as he is wont to do, as he is last chance kitchen master. And he is was the eleventh contestant after uh, to join the ten survivors. What an amazing performance by brother to get back in the competition! Reminds me of like a like Jimmy Butler getting traded to the 76ers and has to play like the next night without knowing any of the teammates. Don't know doesn't know any of the sets. Doesn't know the strengths and weaknesses, what they want, how they want it. 
and then he overcomes that handicap and goes in back into the competition and gets booted for the same reason he did last season. Poor brother look. I, I, obviously, if you're listening to this show, you, you know that there are spoilers here. But brother, it was, uh, it was like watching um, someone fight all the way back from a, an injury, coming back, and then uh, getting re-injured for a similar thing that was the previous injury and an aggravation. And just be like, ah, he was so close, so close. Right, right, and so just to explain, this is where Brother Luck gets into. This is this is his great Achilles heel in the competition. Is uh, last year it was uh, the parameters of the challenge, I believe, were to make uh, something German inspired and Bavarian inspired, or and he did these sort of quote German egg rolls that had basically there was they were about it they they, they, they uh, you know. Tom, they, they were <laughs> we about go. as <laughs> they were about as German as uh, I mean. Uh, I don't know. They, they, they were about as German as something, but <laughs> they just were not very German. Oh, that's a good one. Um, they, they were about as, 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 as German as, uh, you know, Xi'an province and, and, uh, his German egg rolls just in, and, and there's a certain insult you see, especially Tom, like, I mean, Tom's subtext is often look asshole. Like we set these parameters for a reason. This isn't these aren't suggestions. These are prescriptions, right? Like we want you to do X. So like you can color outside the lines a little bit. And and brother Luck went home because his German egg rolls again were 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 just not specifically or even implicitly German. And this week it was hey do a do your canopy and create a canopy that is a callback or inspired by or a nod to the cocktail. And what was it? Was a South? What, what was the name of the cocktail he was supposed to use? I, I don't. I don't even know. But there was not South even a Southside. A Southside something. Yeah. And he's like Southside something. Hey, Southeast Asia. Hey, bought me. And the, next, <laughs> and, and the next thing you know, there was like this very spiced beef liver parfait with peanuts that could not have been uh, any less of a uh, of a of a tribute or uh, to the, the cocktail in question. And you could see Tom kind of pissed off. Like we gave you these parameters for a reason. Like we, like, like we sit around a producer's table and think about these things, uh, and, and and you 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 kind of ignore them. So so unfortunately, Brother Luck went home, and uh, there were a lot of really good looking bites on that table. And I gotta say, Tom, uh, the headline here is Eric. I have been calling him a sleeping giant. He is Holy on my team. Yeah. He is the Mike Conley. Of Top Chef 16, he was the best <laughs> chef not to have won squat and decides he's going to shuck. I get very nervous when someone has to shuck oysters against the clock. I don't know about you, Tom, but like I was sweating that because like shucking oysters is hard. And I have my little glove and I have my little thingy and it, 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 it's hard it's, work. It's like watching a horror movie where you know the killer's in the closet. You and know? you can't get the car started. No, no, it's that, yeah, like, and and, the, and the, actually, no, it's it's like a horror movie where you're sitting in the cabin of the car, turning the keys, turning the keys, turning the keys, and it won't start, and here he comes with the with the chainsaw. Yeah, it's like, and, oh, oh, this is going to be bad. Like, like Eric's going to lose a hand. And the, the other thing is, shucking that many oysters, um, you can't fake it. You can't, like, uh, we'll get into Brian. By the way, we're going to have two special guests here in a second. But yes, you can't do what Brian did and just, like, throw gnocchi into the frying pan at, or the fryer and then, like, put it on a plate. You can't have – you can't not shuck. Right. 
Right? There's like, no shortcut like, to this. Yeah, you, you, you're either. It's a very binary thing. Either an oyster <laughs> yeah. is shucked or it is not. And by the way, Tom, I thought of you really because that run bourbon mignonette. I mean, uh, that is a bite designed for Tom Haberstroh. I got to mm-hmm. say, like that lovely mignonette he did with the with the rum and the bourbon. I'm, I am so happy for Eric because again, as we've said, I think on average he has been cooking as good a food as anyone on the show. Dish in, dish out. He has not had a misfire. Uh, and I, I think he's been above 500 in every in every single exercise. But Kevin, but I have my in my won. notes here. I have in my notes best dish of the season. Oh, see th- I, that had you written all over. Oh. I, I I I saw that. And, it was and beautiful. It's a bite. It's um it's al natural in the shell. I, I loved everything about that. And shouts to Eric. That was uh, not just the. It was one of those. It, of all the dishes that we've seen this season, Kevin, that was the one that gave me the most FOMO that I wasn't there to eat it. You know, like I just want to try that. Uh, the other I have to say I was really and, and I have a I have a, uh, as you know, a weakness for scallop crudo in general. And um, he uh, I thought Kelsey did the most gorgeous beautiful looking thing I've, I've seen on the show in a while. Her uh, her, her scallop crudo with a kind of a rhubarb uh, consomme she did in a corn puree and had this lovely, I think it was a chive, just kind of delicately balanced over the spoon. And it was just a really beautiful thing. She got in the top three. And man, I would, I could eat, I could eat Eddie's food all day. And, and I know, I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm taking victory laps on Eddie. Everybody thinks he's a maniac. Everybody thinks he's a stress monkey. And you know what? Like all that guy does is stress his way to the to the judges table every week. And he had that bourbon cured salmon with a peach puree. I love salmon. It's so fatty. It's so nice. You, you know, it just picks up the richness. Uh, Eddie once again looked like a deer in the headlights and just stressed his way into the final. The scene uh, so. of the rested mean face when they were like uh Eddie is so glorious. Um I I've come around on him. Uh I was I was, uh, I guess, doubling down. I was so indentured. I was so, I, I was basically saying I am so embedded into this idea that he is my enemy because I am so opposite side to you um, on Eddie. And now I can't even do it. I can't even hate on him. The, the whole I rested mean face, I think I'm stuck on resting mean face, was such a great scene when they were just like, Are, you look upset. I'm like, what's wrong? And he's like, this is just how I look. I'm sorry. But I relate to I feel like I'm that guy in a lot of situations, <laughs> yeah. Tom. I feel like I'm that guy in the press room. Like, I feel like like, why are you so I, upset, Kevin? Yeah, I'm not, why are you so stressed? Why are you so delightful? serious? Yeah, you yeah. know, like, and I, so I, I kind of identify with Eddie. I, I, and, and he's also a short man, and I'm a short man. And and so, Kevin, I, I, have, I have a question here. Yes. Did did the did, do these chefs figure out a hack? Because did you notice one commonality with those three dishes? Raw. Raw seafood, seafood, two hundred people, and it's funny too, Tom, because I thought about this. Adrian at one point says to David, who also did uh, a cold dish. Uh, I don't think it was an entirely raw. His shrimp. Um, uh, they were in the the, the gin ricky department or, or division, and she said, "Oh, easy for you to say with your cold food." And I'm thinking, yeah, <laughs> like like that. That wasn't mandatory. You don't have to go to the fire. Like you don't have to do hot food. Exactly. I mean, nobody is like because she said it as if she kind of got like she drew the bad knife, right? And I don't mean this as a knock on on Adrian specifically, but it, but it was a very telling moment where she was much more hectic and under a lot more stress than he was, 
and David didn't finish in the top three, but but and it's sort of like, yeah, but I mean, that's strategy. Cold food is easier. I mean, you know, the, the old saying, as you love to say, this is a top scout, but I'm kind of feeling like it is. I'm yeah, kind of feeling would, like top crudo, I, you know, I would watch a season of top scallop, wouldn't you? <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, so. Yeah, and then uh, we'll get into the greasy sponge, I believe, uh, how it was described by Padma, uh, Brian's dish, the greasy sponge. Sarah, it was mush on mush on mush. Um, and then Brothers, which just was way overpowering heat and also way overpowering out of left field. A lot of going things. Um, in fact, Tom, I believe we could actually go right to the source on, uh, on, on, on Noki and Sausage um, because – if I'm not mistaken, we are joined now by chefs Brian Young and Chef Justin Sutherland, who I think quite possibly produced the fourth best fourth best dish in Top Chef history, <laughs> judging from the response to the Christini. The best honorable mention in history. Yes. Um, let's get them on the line. joining us thanks for having us yeah, yes thanks for having us. and brian you don't know but we have met we met and the reason we have met is we were one of your tables oh, at northeast that's funny how, how was it <laughs> you know what and i and i'm saying this not to flatter you like when people because you know people want to know how the experience was tom's gotten it too from all our friends and it um and, and you know ultimately it's well how was the food and i'm like the food was fantastic oh that's awesome. like i mean there were six really good dishes, uh, even the one that we jokingly call the Forgotten Crudeau, which was Eddie's Crudeau. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, it was perfectly decent, but like, I, I that, thought it was that was great. the weakest. Yeah, like, like it was, it was, it, but I think it says a lot that it was the weakest of the six, and it was still like a really nice plate. It was still awesome. So we have met, and you came by, and, and you, were, you were front of the house uh, model citizen. Were you guys the last? Yes. Were you guys like one of the yes. last tables? Yes, and actually yes. Eric and Adrian and Eddie like came out to like greet us or like join in on the conversation we were having, and then they were like ushered away by PR people. I know. Well, like, I no, mean, you can't be here. They don't let us talk to anybody. <laughs> and Justin, I think you were somewhere else in the room biting Nini's head off. Uh, yes, yes. I, I apologize <laughs> for that, but it was uh, the whole day was just crazy. I yeah. And it was the one thing, I mean, I always said, you know, going on to the show, I was like, if I make, if I make it to restaurant wars, then, then I'll yep. be happy. I just don't, I don't want to leave before restaurant wars. Cause that's like, and then to me, and then it happened like so coolest. early. I know, man. I, but I was still so psyched. Like when it happened, you were so psyched that uh, you wrote, um, a 50 page manual. So Justin, did you ever get a chance to see uh, chef Bright's manual? I, I did. It was illustrated. It had chapters. Uh, this man did not sleep all night. Uh, he's insane. <laughs> this is like the officially like the Dead Sea Scrolls of Top Chef now, right? right. Oh, yeah. manual. I, got I, I think we should put it into. I think we should put it into production. I guarantee you, we could sell it. <laughs> I have a theory about uh, Restaurant Wars, and, I, and it's actually something Tom and I have been discussing. And I kind of wanted to run it by you. Okay. Uh, and, and it's also because we we were able to do a little reporting and, and sort of, you know, understand that th- these aren't necessarily uh, – these aren't necessarily folks who necessarily have restaurant experience. Would the entire competition be different 
if y'all were furnished with like experienced wait staff where basically yeah. they, they took I mean yeah. it, it strikes me I, I would love to see just as a contrast because I almost think there's an element of sabotage and it 100%. might just be staffing issues like it's a Saturday night like where are you going to find any people who do this for a living are, are employed and it's not right. like restaurants are going to shut down to furnish you with their finest servers it's just I, but it is something we had talked about where it almost seems like it's destined to be a disaster um because look this is actually a skill that people have or they don't i mean it's not something i agree that anybody can do 100%. i agree completely and i i'll be honest with you you know i mean the the service staff that we were that we were uh supplied they were banquet servers or mm-hmm. uh people who work at banquets so you know, they had like, they, you know, they know how to carry a tray, but you know, they're not used to being in a fine dining environment. Like they don't, it was really interesting. They didn't know about, you know, clearing Any steps of By the way, we should also say absolutely some of the most lovely people. I mean, they, they could not have been nicer. They were, yeah, they, <laughs> were, they, were, they, were, they were great. But for the most, I think I fired somebody um, that didn't even actually. Work for me, <laughs> did you really? I did. That's I did. Amazing. I, told someone, I, I told someone to go home. I was like, I what? With you. Did you say pack your knives and go home? I, I said pack your knives and go. <laughs> Please pack your knives and go. When you're watching, guys, when you're watching Restaurant Wars, we were there. We experienced it. The biggest difference that I saw from the edited version on TV to my own experience, the reality was that we were really backed up and we had like a 90 minute wait to go to Northeast. And Brian, you can probably speak to that more, but um, I felt like there was an advantage to getting the judge's table first and then they make their way to the second restaurant and the third restaurant. Um, that was the biggest difference was there was nothing on the on the show that spoke to how much of a backup there was at Northeast. And I'm guessing there was a backup everywhere, of course, at uh, your yeah. restaurant, Justin. But what was oh, – Justin, we'll start with you. The first – the thing yep. that we didn't get to see at home that you were like, oh, wow, uh, they just missed that whole thing. Yeah, I mean I think a lot of that. I think the um, the real, real intensity of the backup and, – and like you said, I think when the judges came, um, played a huge part um, – because not that you could, you know, you still had the complete service and, you know, but there was kind of that exhale moment of, all right, said the judges, that's the one that counts. Uh, if everything goes to shit now, <laughs> you know, at least we, uh, at least we saved that. So yeah, it was just intense. Um, the the entire was, day, I think were, just we the, the amount of hours. Yeah, we were on, I think we were yeah, on a 90 minute wait at some point. Um, I actually started, pour, I just, I just brought wine glasses to the line and started pouring people <laughs> Like rosé while they were standing and waiting. I'm like, yeah. What else am I gonna do? I can't make people leave. And There's you a sauna in there too. Oh, and we we have the guy in our out. dining room who uh, who brought his own banana um, in protest for oh. the. <laughs> <laughs> he was sitting. It was. I mean, I feel like he was a plant. First of all, who brings a banana to a restaurant? He's sitting right <laughs> next to the judge. Well, no. Run so, Justin, a little backstory. Table. We might be able to help you with that. Okay. So you bring a banana? one of the things that happens. No, I didn't bring a banana, but I, I actually frequently bring bananas. It's a great source of potassium, and I'm a runner, and I'm old. Um, but so it's actually kind of ironic. So before people are brought into your restaurants, there's this holding tank, which is a warehouse on the same uh, site okay. as the restaurants, like right across the way. Right. I mean, you're in there prepping. You didn't see any of this. 
Um, and it's actually it, it's split down the middle. One is production and the other is the holding tank where they have literally snacks from Costco. So you so your first exposure to food in the Top Chef restaurant or guest experience is is basically various. Um, it's you like know, various clearly, yeah, it's, it was a bunch yeah, of like yeah. uh, munchies. Yeah, just Funny. just uh, you know, basically Funyuns. I mean, basically just just chips and granola bars that you would find at Costco or Sam's Club, <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and and some and some very standard fruit. So um, uh, that that is where I think it came, and and it is a bit of a ordeal. I mean, you get called, your reservation isn't. I mean, again, th- there there wasn't a lot of science to this, and I think it's again, I think it's also intentional. I mean, they want to. Oh yeah, they wanted to put out. they wanted to put us into the uh, oh, the most course. intense situation they could, and they uh, they succeeded. So I think to me, like the advantage of having um, the judges table now, I, I basically planned on the judges coming at the worst possible time. I just knew mm-hmm. that that's what was going to happen. I'm just naturally a suspicious person. Um, so I'm like, they're going to come right in between the first and second seating. Like when we're in the weeds with first courses and trying to get people out. And, uh, you know, I, I spent all night pouring over the books and I, you know, I figured out, I was like, Hey guys, you know, like, I don't, I don't think the judge's reservation is in here, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I think we noticed that, that well. everybody, you remember, I mean, the morning before we left, everybody was scrambling, freaking out. And if I hadn't been so obsessive compulsive, I wouldn't have caught it. So what's I, this in I, the I manual? I'm curious. What was in the manual? Hello listener. Guess who's back. It's me, Anthony Mays your favorite butcher turned podcast producer. And I'm here to talk to you about butcher box. Butcher box is the most convenient way to get high quality meat and seafood that you can trust delivered straight to your doorstep, free shipping, vacuum sealed packaging. It's ready to go right then it's ready to pop in the freezer. You get exclusive member deals and a variety of high quality cuts at an amazing value. Going to the grocery store can be a huge pain. You're usually in a rush at an inconvenient time. You're waiting in line at the meat counter. You're taking a number. Maybe this place doesn't have a number. You're jostling with fellow customers. You're trying to get that ribeye that you want or that nice piece of salmon. Maybe the butcher that you're dealing with has a bad attitude or something. I don't know. That was never me. I promise. But maybe it happens. Butcher Box takes all of that out of the picture. You are always prepared with meat and seafood in the freezer, and you're not going to find quality for this price anywhere else other than ButcherBox. So sign up at butcherbox.com dings, D-I-N-G-S, and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com dings and use code dings, D-I-N-G-S, to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. What was in? Uh, so like, basically, what are you writing I, why do you have illustrations and whatnot? Uh, you drew so pictures of napkin I, folds and spoons and how to set I, a table. I did. <laughs> I I drew. I basically I drew a table setting um, where the where the wine glasses would go. Um, so that basically all I had to do was I had to show one person, and then they would always have the book to reference. So you know the other thing is is the you know it was really a lot about 
you know, all the way down, you know, from service style to, you know, the proper way to address the table or the proper way to greet somebody when you go up to a table, um, all the way through, you know, if somebody orders red wine, you know, the table is already set with red and white wine glasses. So, you know, how to clear, how to properly clear the white wine glass away, you know, or not, not to try to take people's plates before the whole table is done. Um, and these are just like basic principles, you know, in fine dining. And I, I think I just assumed that the service staff that I would get would not know how to do these things. And I wanted to make sure that my bases were, were covered. So, yeah. you know, and then, you know, even, even how to thank people before they leave and things like that. So it was really, uh, it was, it was obsessively in depth. I would say it was, I will say in, uh, in, in Nini's defense, our, I mean, she couldn't teach anybody a table number because I don't think we had tables in our restaurant until 11 minutes before service started. Um, they were so behind in the design and the setup of our restaurant. Um, I definitely feel yeah. better in that in that situation because she couldn't begin the training. She couldn't say, "Hey, this is table one." When there was no table one, Justin J snaps. What was yeah. the moment you snapped? Like, what was the precise moment where it was like, "You know what? F this. I can't be Mr. Nice Guy anymore. I'm gonna go ape shit on you guys." <laughs> you know, I, I I think it was when I like the sixth plate of food came back to the kitchen because uh, they couldn't find the table. They didn't know the table number. They were just bringing food to random tables. Um, yeah, and I, I definitely had a had a lost a lost it moment. Kelsey calmed me yeah. down, but <laughs> uh, yeah, I was just watching all of them. I mean, because David's over there busting his ass, and he's cooking both entrees. You know, we're shucking oysters to order. Uh, we knew it was going to be intense, but watching all of that work come back to the kitchen uh, got a, got very frustrating. Speaking of which, we just watched Eric, um, who's uh, got to be in the Olympics for uh, oyster shucking. I did notice you. Justin, I think you had a little bandage on your finger. Did you have a shucking accident? I don't think it was a shucking accident. I think it was. I think it was a knife slip um, when I was cutting that duck. Ooh. Pretty sure that. Yeah, oh. I'm pretty sure that's what it was. And, and, and by the way, I have a theory that your Cristini or your your, your duckala orange um, bite was the best dish ever in Shop Chef that didn't get to the judges' table because the way they were kind of swooning about it on camera. And it looked just beautiful. I mean, that that is that is a dish made for me. Um, and then you know it was it was a strong field. It was a top heavy field on, on the canapé episode. To be honest, I, I honestly felt the same way. I felt very good. I mean, all the judges' responses to me were great. I thought it was a great dish. So you know, just a matter of one of those times where there were a lot of great dishes and not all of them could make it. What is the experience of viewing the season? Because obviously, the this is months ago, and. Um, obviously, it's it's reality TV, and so uh, episodes are kind of cobbled together, and uh, it, the, the sausage is made a very specific way. And what is it like? What's the experience of watching it kind of uh, delivered to you? And I assume you haven't seen the episodes any sooner than I do. No, we, we're, we're seeing we them for the first when time when you see them. Yep. I think the biggest thing is figuring out which – which story, which storylines they're going to run with. You know, I mean, it's 17, yeah. 18 hours of filming some days that gets edited down to, you know, 48 minutes. So it's very interesting to see what makes the cut, um, what they want to run with, uh, who's going to be the yeah. asshole that week. <laughs> you know, um, so it's, it's, it's very, it's very interesting. Cause then you have the editing to me and you're like, yeah, it's nuts. The editing to me has been the most interesting part. It's, it's, um, you know, it's just been how they cho- how they chop it up. It's, I agree with Justin 100. percent 
you know, because you remember, you know, like things you said in the moment. And you're like, oh God, I hope they don't. I hope they don't tell <laughs> me saying that. that you know, yeah. right? And then, you know, uh, sometimes it does, and sometimes it doesn't. You know what I mean? And and we're lucky that we all have. We, you know, we've been running with uh, uh, basically a group text stream. You know, that we're always texting each other, like, you're like, yo, you know, I'm so I didn't mean to say that. Like, I was just I was in the moment I was upset. And we're, everybody's been a really good sport. Um, <laughs> Even, are there, mo- yeah, are there moments where you're like, wait a minute, I forgot I said that about Nini? Yep. Yes. Or just our people in <laughs> general, or sometimes you forget that you have a microphone on and you're like, shit. <laughs> right. I mean, the thing is, is you just forget that they're there. After a while, you just forget that they are even present. And you're just, yeah. you're just in the weeds, scrambling, like living your life. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, uh, I may have you. just said I may have just said something mean, and the camera was right on me when I said it. Yeah. Or there have been the there production, have been a do, production does a very good job of making themselves invisible at the right times. Right. So you're basically just cooking. You're cooking and living in a panopticon for for months, basically. Absolutely. 100%. It's like it's a one hundred percent fishbowl. And did, did you it, have like After Effects where you would go into like real life and just always feel like there's a camera following you? Oh, absolutely. I think for me, the, the most hilarious thing was when, you know, when they ask you a question, you have to, you know, you need to, you need to answer the question in a complete sentence. And so the, the funniest adjustment for me after, you know, two and a half months was, you know, being back in the real world and realizing that I don't have to answer everyone's question, starting with the question. Oh, so like when, Hey, how, what what was, what was your thinking about that dish? My thinking on the dish was you have to, because they don't, they don't hear the question being asked. They just hear the answer. So you have to raise it. So the people at home know, you know, know where it's coming from. Did you have to go for like a week of training on how to be a top chef contestant on like how to answer questions and what to watch out for on those things? It, was, it, it happened I mean, I, in the moment. There was a lot of coaching, you know, yeah. a lot of phrase things. Yeah. That's great. Absolutely. I mean, it, it was, it was, uh, it was weird at first. I mean, I can, and then they were like, oh, you know, say, say exactly what you just said again, except for I need you to say it a different way, you know? And so, right. you know, I mean, those interviews that they chop up and use, I mean, you could be in an interview room for three or three and a half hours and they just want yeah. that, you know, they want that one that sound one to get you, you know, so it's it's really weird. Um, and That's why you're always in that jean jacket there, Brian. <laughs> it's funny. Some of the rooms were freezing cold, the interview rooms. And some of the other yeah. ones were like 100 Just degrees. Hell. So high. when we look all greasy and sweaty, it's like, it's it's not because they're, they're filming it like right after it happens. It's it's because like well, literally there's like and the light, light, light like 100 degrees. It's just crazy. I haven't been able to go uh, back into a whole food sense. I have PTSD every time I do a whole food sense. <laughs> Same. Um, hey, Brian, I want to I want to ask you about uh, we again. We, we're just coming off of the canopy episode. Defending one's dish when you're on the bottom is always a tricky exercise. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I, I and I, I'm trying to. Do they take? Because I think there's a there's a there's a sort of a a negotiation you have to make with yourself, which is, do I own up to my errors right. when they come to the, did you think that dish was good? Did you taste it? You know? And what was of interesting is I during the, uh, in the, well, no, because in the interview you were kind of like, ah, I put all, you know, I put all the sausage on the, uh, on the grill at once. It was a hack move. I ended up having to kind of fry my gnocchi. 
they yeah. edited it as if you were sort of watching the downward spiral of your dish, which was just a manifestation of time management and whatever else. But then you decided to take the tack of, hey, I thought my dish was great. You know, it's funny. Um, I did taste the dish altogether, and it made sense. You know, I think in hindsight, I was just really scared. First of all, I think I was scared that the, the gnocchi would end up being like in that little cup that I had to serve with. I was worried that they would steam in there and get like weird and soggy. So, gummy. Um, I, yeah, and gummy. So I decided to fry them because I was like, well, that way they'll be crispy all the way around. Now, you know, you would think like in a, in a top chef kitchen, there would be like nice, you know, pristinely clean, like frying oil. You know, it's not the case. Um, so it was just kind of like, it was kind of skanky old oil. And, and I, you know, by the time I, I realized it's like, oh, well, this kind of tastes like a fryer, you know, uh, it's too late. So you just gotta, you have to, you just have to back yourself up, you know, basically. And, um, you know, being at the judge's table, you know, it's something that I actually got kind of good at. <laughs> where I, I could I could I could maneuver and talk my way out of things, which I think that's why you're front of house. Still. Yep, yep. <laughs> I, I think you should so, always defend your decisions. What do you guys eat? Like, what and where and how do you guys eat on the show? Uh, mostly, we uh, ate like so we we had some weird food. It was not like you would think. Oh, like, you oh, can you can down. say it. You can say it, Brian. I think they picked the worst catering company in Kentucky to feed us. <laughs> <laughs> it was sorry, sorry. It was brutal. I mean, Ed, I think Eddie. Like, I don't. I think Eddie lost twenty pounds. He did, he would not eat the food. He was just like, I'm not eating this garbage. So there wasn't there wasn't any of this. I, you know, you have romantic notions of oh, ten chefs in a house. Maybe you rotate nights and you guys oh, no, do these lovely. Ma- we did do that. We oh, did you did. That. Okay, so you got at to do home. a little bit of that. All right. Yeah, but on set, yeah, at home we just oh, together. On set. Great. on set, it's like the worst corporate like luncheon food. Yes. Oh yeah. Like our favorite days yeah. were days where they would get us like uh, like pizza or. Like, um, Padma bought everybody Indian takeout one day, which was actually, that it was, was amazing. That was probably my favorite day on set, but it sounds like you're on like, I think that was after we, I think that that happened after we like boycotted the food. And I think we, you know, we did a hunger strike and then Padma uh, bought us like, good Indian food. <laughs> oh, there was a hunger strike. So this was like an org. I mean, there was a consensus. Here. This, was a, this was an undercurrent of production was y'all's dissatisfaction with the food. Yeah, oof, it was rough. I'm Tom. This is like eating in the Miami Heat press room every. I night. know, <laughs> but, it's, a, but for, for, it's it's especially cruel when you're doing it to chefs. It's like giving. It's like it's I like know. playing an all star game in the NBA and giving them like a flat basketball. Exactly. It, it's like oh, well, it, it's so mean. Like we 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 just got all these like amazing chefs in a room and they could be creative and they eat. here. Thank you for being so awesome at your jobs. And here, by the way, is a flat basketball. You know, <laughs> um, I, I know you guys are up against it, Justin. I want to I want to do some. Uh, I haven't been to Minneapolis since October of 2016, but it, it has kind of become one of my favorite food cities on the NBA circuit. And I mean, I, I have like a list of places I love from Corner Table to Safari, which is a Somali restaurant that I really liked. Um, we just you know, uh, Brian and I just ate at uh, Thomas Bamer's new restaurant in Bloom. Um, oh, see, which is incredible. Table. So I got to do that next time I'm insane. in town. Okay. So it go there. Me out of uh, the water, I got to tell you. You know, had have wonderful mo- always have wonderful meals at Spoon and Stable. Um, you yep. know, it's just like I, I just it's a great 
it's a really underrated food scene. I mean, I think, you know, I think when a place is under kind of a blanket of snow for half the year, you just assume there's not, it's, it's just, it's not fertile ground literally. And so right. I, I just, I mean, man, no, we have, a, we have a phenomenal, well. phenomenal food scene, just phenomenal great. food scene. So you don't, you guys don't love, uh, you don't love Boston though. I think it's, did I, did I hear that or did I read that? Oh, oh God. Kevin, you're not like, Kevin, oh, you're, not a, you're not a big fan of Boston. Right. I think I told you this when you came to the table, I am a Boston fan. Um, my dad right. is from Cohasset outside of, uh, Boston and he, uh, grew me up as a, as a, uh, Boston sports fan. I didn't. I actually lived in Connecticut, so it wasn't like I lived in Boston. But Kevin, I'm gonna just gonna put you on the spot. Uh, I don't think he's a big fan, and he can he can justify it. He has very good reasons for this, but he also probably hasn't eaten at one of your restaurants, Brian. Oh yeah, I mean, look, look, I, I just. <laughs> I, I'm I'm not great with kind of old Irish broy towns in general, like. <laughs> And and it's like and I, I'm also I grew up in the South and live in California, so I'm not good with cold weather. And like it, it's kind getting of tri- around is a pain in the ass. Like yeah. it's it's tribal. It's old. Like I, by the way, I had a great <laughs> omakase at Oh Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I, I, it's not like I haven't had good meals <laughs> in Boston, but I also think like every like you go into the White Hen and they want like two ninety nine for a bottle of. I think everything's expensive. The drivers are awful. Yep. Everybody looks like Eric Stoltz and mask. You know, like it's just a bunch of drunken dudes walking around on a Friday night at 11 p.m. when you're leaving the arena with your, with Actually, your briefcase. Kinda, this sounds fun to me. This is this is like, you're right. Like, it is I'm tribal. Just, that's I'm what, just not that's, a Boston that's what I guy. Love about it. No, no. And, and to each his own. Right. Like I, I would never prescribe Los Angeles for like most sane people I know, like not every city is for everybody. And like I some of my some of my best friends are Bostonians and they love it, you know, like. But for me, it's just not it's just not my town. Like Chicago's not my town either. For many of the same reasons I don't like Boston. Um, you know, I'm a little precious. Like you're talking to someone. Because who likes you hate it. the Irish. Is that it? Because I hate yeah. the Irish. I, I, I um but it is sort of this there's that's it. it. It's just an aesthetic thing and it's it's just a matter of taste. And um yeah. and then it kinda of became part of my persona among my peers. So now it's like I just I just shit on Boston. <laughs> uh, and also Boston. Brian, their sports fans are if you're like a just a kind of a sober like sports writer who tries to bring some degree of nuance and sanity to the conversation, Boston is not terribly a hospitable place for that for that message. Like this is a pl- like it's like Yankees suck. Yankees suck. Yankees suck. <laughs> You don't think that that's a nuanced argument? Yeah. So it's just it, it's just. But I but I've had great meals in Boston, and I know great people in Boston. Well, we're gonna settle this next time. Next time. Next time you're in Boston, we're uh, in late spring. I'm actually opening a restaurant called the Emery. No way. Um, so, what neighborhood? So yeah. So you are gonna have to come in, and then and then I'll, I'll show you like the non broy part. So what neighborhood is your restaurant gonna be in? Uh, it's in Beacon Hill. Okay. Ooh. So Which is not far from yeah, it's, it's at the top of Beacon Hill on Beacon Street, like right behind the new state house. So um, we're really Very excited nice. about it, and I would uh, I would love to have you in and change your mind. No, Maybe. that was great. We'll see. Listen, one of my my favorite Boston restaurants actually in Somerville, and that is Sarma. Okay. Which- Sarma is so amazing. Sarma is amazing, and you know what's amazing about Sarma? In addition to everything they do, they have a no cilantro menu. Mm-hmm. Which, which I think that a part, like I think the Food and Drug Administration should require every restaurant to have. And no <laughs> to have a cilantro-free section. A cilantro. <laughs> I need to know where it is on your menu. Free. You don't have to make food cilantro-free, but I need to know where it is and where it's not. 
Um, and I just think Sarma. I go every fr- I go basically go kind of the, the fourth Friday in February every year because I'm up there for a conference. And uh, I, I go out to Somerville and do my Sarma uh, run. Hey, guys, I'm wondering. Uh, we've had guests on the show, Chef Testins, before. And one of my favorite questions is to ask is whether you guys did any prep for the show. Like, did you scout out a Whole Foods and try to figure out where everything is. Did you did you like put yourself through a boot camp of learning how to put together a dish in under six minutes? Like what what sort of things did you do from finding out you were gonna be on Top Chef to actually going to game time? Um, um, I mean me personally, I did I didn't do I didn't do any I mean I was I was busy running a really busy restaurant. So it was just kinda like the dates getting closer, the dates getting closer. And then, and then I had to leave. So, but I mean, we were, you know, we were doing, you know, course dinners for, you know, a hundred, 150, 160 people, you know, every night. And, uh, it was, it's a busy season. You know what I mean? In Boston, that's the busy season, you know, spring and, and, um, and early summer. So I didn't have time to do anything. I know that, I know that for sure Adrian did, a lot of prep. She did a lot of like quick fire practicing and things like that. Um, that I wish I had done. You guys have watched the show. Quick yes. fires are definitely not my forte. So, um, maybe Me I should have practiced in hindsight. I don't know. Would did uh, you do yeah. anything, Justin? And I didn't have any time. I mean, I was fresh, pretty fresh off of, uh, off of iron chef. So I had had, you know, I'd had oh, that yeah. win under my belt and, and knew that I could, uh, perform quickly and under pressure. Um, but other than that, I was in the middle of opening my second restaurant, you know, in which I had to leave for top chef before we even were able to get it open. So I was deep into, deep into opening a restaurant. So I didn't have much time to think about it, which I think was good. But before we let you go, tell us about your, uh, your project. Yeah. So the second, uh, second restaurant there that I opened, uh, it's called Pearl and the Thief. Um, kind of a Gulf coast, Southern, um, theme, very seafood, big oyster bar, um, yeah, just really celebrating the celebrating the, the fresh seafood that comes out of the Gulf there. So everything from New Orleans, South Carolina, uh, going fantastic. Actually, uh, relocating in the process of relocating it. Uh, when I was gone, I opened it in a small town uh, called Stillwater um, in Minnesota, and we are moving it to Minneapolis right now. Wait, is, mm. it's Stillwater. Stillwater is is that the place where like people? It, it's kind of it's a little bit out of town. I keep getting ads on. Um, I keep getting ads on Instagram for like cute boutique hotel in Stillwater. And is that That's like exactly what it is? Do they just identify the yuppie gay guy <laughs> who spends all his money on food and travel yeah. and say, you should be going here? You, you are born for Stillwater. Okay. <laughs> that, that's it. Cause I, I, like I, I was mean, actually you like antiquing. And- <laughs> exactly. Yep. Like, by the way, that's how creepy kind of digital life is now. It's like, they know right. that, like, oh yeah, here, here's a, here's a, no child, child free, double income, no kids, gay couple that likes going to food and boutique hotels and and lifestyle whoring. Let's send them to a hotel in Stillwater, <laughs> Minnesota. I didn't even know what Stillwater was, and then someone explained it to me. So that's where your restaurant is, and now you you're going to St. Paul, uh, Minneapolis. No, my my other restaurants are in St. Paul. Moving, moving Pearl and the Thief to downtown Minneapolis. Nice. Um, no, well, very good. It. Next time we are in town for a Timberwolves game, which should be 2031. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any NBA takes that you want to pop off on this podcast, guys? Yeah, here's your chance. I mean, I'm, I'm a big Timberwolves fan, so that's I, I stick with them. 
Wait, wait. Are you are you pro Tibbs firing, or are you uh, happy that Flip Saunders' son is getting the chance? Like, where do, where were you on the on the Tom Thibodeau drama? Um, I you know I think uh, I think getting fired after a pretty big win kind of burned. Um, <laughs> but I'm, like, yeah, great job tonight. Uh, you don't work here anymore. Um, so that, that was kind of weird. Um, super, super stoked for uh, for Flip's son, though. Um, you know, Flip had an amazing legacy, and uh, I'm, I'm excited to see what he does with it. Yeah, I think Ryan's going to be a good coach. Yeah, he is. Yep. Yeah. I think right. so, too. Gentlemen. Conversely. Wait, wait, wait. Oh, wait. oh, oh, oh of course. Of course, sorry. Kevin cuts oh, off God, the Boston I have to hear another, to uh, Just what the world needs, more Boston sports takes. Yes, okay. Yeah, right. Oh, no, no, no. I, I'm not a – I'll be honest with you. you know, I, uh, I actually grew up in Nashville, Tennessee, and we didn't have a basketball team growing up. I've So, you know, I was um, – I am still and was a, a rabbit – uh, New England Patriots fan. I just was growing up, um, so that's very annoying for everyone. Uh, <laughs> yes, it is. But uh, you know, yes, as far as basketball is. goes, <laughs> as far as basketball goes, you know, I just you know, I can just you had to never play. I mean, you're like, you're I like think he's, I think Brian's the tallest person to never play basketball. <laughs> wow, it's true. Yeah, I'm not good at it. How tall are you? I'm six foot seven, Brian. So that's average height for the NBA. Um, that's pretty tall. Do people look at you when you walk into a room and you're like, "Ooh, is that guy an NBA player? Did he play college basketball?" You know, that's what happened. Seen, in, that's what happened in Macau. Everybody thought that I was Birdman because I just <laughs> already have tattoos. Everyone thought you were Chris Anderson. <laughs> oh my god, that's that's great. That's, that's my favorite thing I've ever people heard on this show. People were pointing at me, going like, "Birdman, Birdman," and I was like, "Yeah, man, go with take it. pictures with me and stuff." It was awesome. Did you know who Birdman was? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I'm aware of. I knew, I knew who they were accusing me of being. But that was just really funny. And now, now my thing is, you know, walking into a room, I can't tell if people are staring at me because I'm freakishly tall, or if they recognize me from Top Chef. So that's like the new, you know, that's like the new question, the, the silent question, always hanging in my mind. That little uh, seven-year-old girl was pretty enamored with you at dinner last night. I know some, uh, that was hilarious. Some some little girl recognized him and ran up, wanted to take a picture with him. So no way. I'm, yeah, it was really funny. I'm sorry that I'm sorry she didn't recognize you, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> you can have you can have that one. What are you guys doing? Oh today? yeah, are you guys hanging out? You guys are doing an event, or you guys just happen to be in the same city? No, we're doing doing uh, a couple events. Um, cooking, yeah. I brought Brian up to do do some dinner. He did a whole hog butchering uh, class and demo at my restaurant yesterday. Um, so I had a full house for that, um, which was awesome. And then we are spending the next couple of days uh, prepping that pig and doing a six course uh, bourbon and and whole hog dinner on Thursday, pre uh, the the episode, and then we'll have a watch party after that. I mean, this is one of the, I think, cool things that's happened with, and I think Top Chef is a part of it. I think generally just like people like loving ingredients and going to farmers markets, but like none of this shit happened in this country 20 years ago. Like, oh, no. I mean, you know, people, you know, younger chefs, you know, wouldn't necessarily had, had more trouble opening places. Uh, but just like the fact that you could kind of in, in a, in a mid sized metropolitan area have like a week's worth of cool culinary events and people will come out for butchering glasses. This is kind of 
uh, it's a really nice time to be a chef in America. Like it's it really just is. like it's just cooler it stuff. Is. I mean, even ten years ago, fifteen years ago, um, I mean, that's just a blast. No, ab- absolutely. I think we're we're very blessed to be chefs in the time that we are. Um, people are interested in what we're doing, so makes it easy. Yeah. It's definitely, I mean, maybe I would say that like food TV has definitely played a role in piquing people's interest in, you know, sort of what we're doing. And then, you know, I mean, you know, people like Anthony Bourdain and, um, you know, just people watching him and then being like, wow, I mean, look at this guy who used to be like a total animal. And then, you know, he's actually like well-spoken and intelligent and like, you know, and so I think people are just curious, I think, to see what chefs are like and it uh it just makes people you know want to try to figure us out which is funny because we're all just a bunch of you know lunatics running around working 100 hours so like, yeah, so honestly like watching and I, i've said this four times on this show it's like i mean I, what i think what you guys do is like watching lebron and like and it's it's actually inspiring like last night i was home alone i had some games on i just it was a monday night I, it was raining like hell in los angeles so like it's a snowstorm basically <laughs> and it was like I've been looking for like kind of a new beet puree that I could put a piece of roasted like a half chicken on just something like, you know, fuck around with plating, get something like and I so I basically decided I took like the tahini in my cupboard and like roasted beets for 40 minutes, got them soft and like I made a like I made a beet like tahini puree for my roasted chicken and it was freaking fantastic. And yeah, beet, beet hummus? That sounds awesome. Right, I mean, basically that's what it does. I mean, I made it for fish, but it wasn't very good with the fish. So then I just <laughs> – I had a roasted chicken breast and did it that. But like, but that, that was something I learned, which is a very good accompaniment for chicken, not such a good accompaniment for halibut. But it's just like what the would, point what is – What would Tom like, Clicchio's response to that dish been? What would, what, like, what would his comment be? As long as there was an okra the, on it, he'd be fine. Yeah. True. Yeah. Not, I don't think he's a big fan of beets either. I know. Oh. No, he hates beets. I'm pretty sure. Beats so are I think amazing. You from there, um, he, 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 he put Kevin through the ringer for the for the beats and ricotta. You guys remember yep. that? That was rough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that, that was just a fucked up yep. dish, though. I mean, it was, it was a clean dish. I thought it was a clean dish. You See, know, I, I mean, it was simple. Brian, he's not on this podcast. You can rip him. It's okay. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, no, it was that, that was what that was the first challenge, though. I think you know everybody was trying to figure yeah. it out, you know, and get their feet underneath them and whatnot. So I think he went with what he knew, um, you know, and I think he learned after that that there's no such thing as uh, as playing it safe. You know, go big or go home. Okay, before yeah. you go, guys, I want to ask Justin: Was there any outtakes to the jacuzzi that we need to know about? <laughs> I know. I think- <laughs> I think you saw everything you were supposed to see. <laughs> okay. All right. And on that note, uh, thank you guys so much for joining us. And best of luck the rest of the season. I will note that you guys are on my team, not Kevin's. Um, so when Kevin and I come into your restaurant, just remember which one drafted you guys. Just remember that. Okay. Heard. Heard. Thank you, guys. Thank you, gentlemen. And this is Pack Your Knives. Pack Your Knives.